Over the past several weeks, we've been uh, walking through the Gospels, and we've been asking the question, you know, who is Jesus, and, and why should we follow Him? And so if you have your Bible, turn with me this morning to Matthew 13. We're going to be looking at this chapter in the book of Matthew this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you you can use. And as you turn there, I want to give you the context of where we are in our journey. Uh, Jesus was teaching and healing people around the Sea of Galilee. And people began to follow him. And crowds began to gather around him. And as this was happening, uh, people began to ask questions. And obviously so. Uh, We would be doing the same thing. That we'd be asking questions and making even statements about Jesus' identity. One question that you can actually find in Matthew 12, 23 is that people began to ask, can this be the son of David? Uh, In other words, can Jesus be the one that God promised to send to usher in the kingdom of God? Others came to a different conclusion about Jesus' identity in Matthew 12, 24, the very next verse. uh, Some of the religious leaders in Judaism Uh, said that the reason Jesus was able to do the things that he did was because he was empowered by the prince of the demons. So you had people from similar cultures who were familiar for the most part with the same Old Testament teachings who witnessed and heard about Jesus' teachings and healings, uh, yet they were coming to very different conclusions about Jesus' identity. Some believe that Jesus was sent by God. Others believe that Jesus was sent by the devil. And then you had some people that were kind of, the questions that you might say were kind of in between. Like the one that we looked at last week, you know, the question that John the Baptist asked of Jesus. And his question was, you know, are you the one or should should we look for another? And what's interesting about John's question is that uh, is, is how closely it's tied to John's understanding of the kingdom of God. Like his, his understanding of what the kingdom of God was going to be like really affected uh, his view of what the Messiah would be like, who the Messiah would be and what he would do. And uh, I believe that John, and, and most people, probably most people who are familiar with the Old Testament, <clears throat> anticipated that God would quickly establish a a powerful god-centered government that would uh, that would uh oppose any opposition and rule the nations. I mean, I think that's what they were looking at is that God would establish this uh theocracy similar to what was under the rule of King David that he would do something like that and and he would do it quickly. And uh this theocracy, this kingdom of God would rule the nations. And so when John didn't see that happening, he saw Jesus teaching and healing. He heard about that, but he didn't see that happening. He began to ask the question, you know, Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And so we see that Jesus's identity uh, is really interwoven in people's understanding of the kingdom and their understanding of the kingdom that, you know, affected how they viewed Jesus and who the Messiah would be. And it's in the context of all those questions that we arrive at Matthew 13. So look with me at Matthew 13, verses 1 through 3. Matthew writes, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat 
beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. So the crowd has gathered around Jesus and he begins to teach them. And Matthew says that he told them many things in parables. Now, a parable, the parable is a teaching tool that Jesus utilized many times throughout the Gospels. And one, one writer explains what a parable is this way. He says, uh, the word parable comes from the combination of the verb, which means to throw, um, and the prefix para, which means alongside. And so the idea is that you, you put forth two things side by side for comparison. So a parable uses something which is uh, similar or, I mean, familiar uh, to the hearer. And the teacher puts forth something that is familiar from everyday life. Like, for example, in the first century, you see Jesus using ideas uh, from farming, uh, the marketplace, fishing. And then he compares it with something that is unfamiliar, which, interestingly enough, in this chapter we learn that it's all about the kingdom of heaven. Something that is unfamiliar or new uh, that they didn't understand. And so the student learns something uh, about what is unfamiliar from what is familiar. And so in Matthew 13, we're actually introduced to eight parables that give us new information about the kingdom of heaven. And they help us you know, kind of clear up some or misconceptions that we may have about the kingdom. So let's look at the first parable and hear what Jesus wants to teach us. <clears throat> so, look with me at Matthew 13. <clears throat> verse, uh, latter part of verse 3 through verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus said, <clears throat> Excuse me. The sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, look with me at verses 18 through 23, where Jesus actually explains this parable for us. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when in tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So the question this parable answers is, 
Why do some people respond in faith in Jesus and others reject him? You know, why, why do some people see Jesus and say he's from God and yet other people see Jesus and say he's, you know, possessed by a demon? Well, the answer is that the word of the kingdom uh, can only take root in the heart of a person who hears the word and understands it, which is what he says about the good soil. And what we see is that, and even in Jesus' uh, giving of this parable, there is a lot of hearing that happens, uh, but not as much understanding. And understanding requires faith. Your understanding is the opening of your life to a completely new reality, the, the reality of the kingdom of God. When you believe or place your faith in Jesus, you are embracing a completely new way of looking at life. Whereas if you harden your heart, you are shutting yourself off from the message of Jesus and the kingdom. And what the parable teaches us is that you can't hide the fruit of your life. You can't hide the fruit of your life. Over time, it will become evident where your allegiance lies. Notice that the parable covers a large amount of time. It's not just a one point in time. It covers a large amount of time. It covers from the sowing of the seed to the growing of the plant to the producing of fruit to the harvest. So you have quite the season that is represented here. Um, And what we learn here is like what one writer said. What counts is not profession of faith but perseverance in faith. What counts is not profession of faith, but perseverance in faith. What we learn from this parable is that saving faith believes the message of Jesus and the kingdom, not just at one point in time, but throughout one's life. Not everyone who professes faith will persevere in faith. And that's why we've all seen people who have once received the message about Jesus in the kingdom. They've professed faith, uh, even with joy, only later to abandon that message. And I think this is one of the things the parable guards us against. And that is, it guards us against diluting the Christian experience down to one prayer that you prayed at one time. You know, Christianity is more than that. It's not just a prayer someone prays at one time. Now that's part of it, the shifting of faith from the things of the world, from self to Christ for salvation. But that's not all it is. And for some of you, I know this because I've had conversations with many, and that is for some people, and maybe even some of you, it really bothers you that you can't remember back when you placed your faith in Jesus. You can't remember the date. You can't remember what you were wearing. You can't remember the time. And that may bother you. Uh, but what's important is not that you professed faith at some time in the past. What's important is do you have faith now? What matters is if you have faith today. See, the Christian 
is not marked by a single profession of faith as much as they are marked by the perseverance of faith. It may begin at that profession of faith, but saving faith perseveres throughout one's life. Now, this parable does not teach us all the nuts and bolts about salvation. You know, we're not going to be able to build all of our understanding of what it means to come to Christ and how someone becomes a Christian from this parable. It doesn't give us all the information uh, which the, the rest of the New Testament helps us understand. But what it does teach us is that saving faith hears the message of Jesus and the kingdom, understands it, fruit is produced in one's life, and it perseveres to the end. That is what the parable teaches Now let's look at the second parable. Look with me at verses 24 through 30. Jesus said, He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn." And just like the parable of the sower, Jesus explains this parable to the, to the disciples as well. Uh, look with me at his expl- explanation in verses 36 through 43. It says, Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace." In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So this parable uh, answers the question, Will the ushering in of the kingdom of God eradicate evil on the earth? will, Will the ushering in of the kingdom of God eradicate evil on the earth? Which is a great question because if you think about it, I mean, if God is going to bring about His kingdom, His rule and reign on the earth, then you would assume that once He does that, nothing can stand against that. Evil would be put down and righteousness will reign. I mean, this is why Jesus taught His disciples to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When God's kingdom comes... His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so uh, it's 
not illogical to assume that when God's kingdom comes, evil will be eradicated. But this parable gives us an answer, but not the answer people were expecting to that question. Will the ushering in of the kingdom of heaven eradicate evil from the earth? Whereas people were expecting the kingdom of God to come in one stage, this parable teaches that the kingdom of God will enter the world in two stages, which was new material uh, for the disciples to hear. This was... This was new revelation Jesus was giving them as he unpacks the kingdom. And so during the first stage of the kingdom coming, we we see that Jesus will continue to sow good seed. And will continue to see people place their faith in him and enter the kingdom of God. They will become citizens of the kingdom of God. They will become Christians. People sometimes refer to this as the church age or the age of grace. It's the time we're in now. It's the time where we are, when we are proclaiming the gospel, helping people to see, you know what, give up, the, uh, give up the, the endeavor of trying to build your own kingdom and seeking the things of the world and submit to God's rule and reign in your life. You know, turn to Christ. Turn from sin. Turn to Christ. You know, uh, Paul talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. You know, we are telling everybody, turn from sin, turn to Jesus. Before that second stage comes. So we're in this first stage where the kingdom is still expanding. People are coming to faith. They're having that opportunity. It is the church age. However, at the same time, Jesus says that he will allow the evil one to continue to work in the world during this time. And so while you have the growth of the sons and daughters of the kingdom, you also will have... Uh, the growth of the sons of the evil one at the same time. And so these two groups will continue to grow together until the second stage of the kingdom of heaven occurs. And the second stage is when Jesus will send his angels and they will gather everyone who is not a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. In other words, if people don't want to be with God, They won't be. They will be separated from God. And those who want to be with God, they want to be in God's kingdom, will be brought in. And he says, everyone who is a citizen of the kingdom will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God. This truth is repeated again in another parable in verses 47 through 50. Listen to what he says. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net... That was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the answer to the question regarding the kingdom of heaven and the presence of evil is that evil will be eradicated, but not immediately. And this was a radical revelation for those hearing this in the first century because they were thinking one stage kingdom, right? And Jesus is saying, no, it's two stages. He's bringing it in, but there will be an age of the church, the church age where people will be brought into the kingdom. But then the second stage will come where there will be judgment and separation 
And Jesus gives two other parables to help explain why there is this two-stage process. And they're found in verses 31 through 33. Verse 31. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So the reason for this two-stage process in the kingdom is to give the kingdom time to grow. He says it's like a mustard seed. It starts small, very small, but given time, it will become the largest plant in the garden. It's like leaven. Starts small, but when placed in the lump of dough, leavens the whole lump over time. And so this two-stage process provides more time for people to hear and understand the message of Jesus in the kingdom. Notice that the kingdom of heaven does not grow by compulsion, but by persuasion. It doesn't grow by force, but it grows by faith. And this is why this this two-stage process is so strategic. It gives the people of God time to share the good news about Jesus and the kingdom. Which gives people the opportunity to respond in faith. And enter the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. Which is the most important news someone can hear, right? I mean, it's the most valuable of treasures that one can acquire. Which is what Jesus taught in the two parables found in verses 44 through 46. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, so we learn whether you stumble upon it or you've been searching for it. When you encounter the good news of who Christ is and the kingdom he is bringing about, then you find what your soul ultimately needs. And everything else in life becomes secondary. This was true of the one who found the treasure. This is the one who, true of the one who found the pearl. They realized the value of the kingdom. And everything else becomes secondary. And so this, the kingdom's two-stage process gives people more time to find the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price. In other words, it gives people more opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this, this patience of God ought to give us all hope. Uh, because during this time, and this is what we read throughout the New Testament, is that during this time, what's amazing is that Jesus uh, can turn weeds into wheat. He can turn uh, the bad fish into the good fish. He can turn... Uh, the sons of the evil one into sons and daughters of the king. He can make the spiritually dead alive. And the way this happens is by hearing and understanding the word of the kingdom. Or as John puts it in John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become 
children of God. So just consider this. I mean, you have had the seed spread among you this morning. And so the question for all of us is, how do we respond to that? How will you respond to that? Will you harden your heart and the seed not take root? Uh, Will you care more about the opinions of others? And, And that may keep you from embracing the good news of Jesus Christ? Or will you continue to cling to the things of the world instead of clinging to God and the good news of the gospel? Or will you hear and understand by responding in faith? Let me, let me close our time with the last parable that Jesus teaches in this chapter. It's found in verses 51 and 52. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. Then he said to him, said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You know, the scribe in the first century was someone who was well versed in the law of the Old Testament. But the new scribe that Jesus is referring to is one who not only knows the Old Testament, but also knows the new. And so if you have a Bible, uh, you have a treasure that you can bring out both the old and the new. You have the seed, which is the word of the kingdom. And the question is, will you hear and understand? And like Jesus says, he who has ears Let him hear. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this seed of the kingdom that is sown in the world, that has been sown in our hearts and has taken root. God, we thank you for that good news of the gospel. That through the work of Jesus Christ, we can be brought into your kingdom because of what he's done for us. Lord, thank you for that good news. And I pray that we would be mindful of the fact that others may have never heard that good news or may have misunderstood that good news or maybe haven't heard all the good news. Uh, Lord, help us to be quick uh, to spread this good news so that while we are in this age of the church, this time between the stages, more and more people, may respond by faith and enter your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.